Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Ire, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Handling offenses is what we want to talk about today. Turn the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians, thank you, Jesus. Second Corinthians 2, 11. Read together, one, two, go. He said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. He says, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, when you are ignorant about the spirit realm and the way it operates, you're going to lose a lot of battles. And, and this is a clear example. He says, if you are ignorant, he's going to have an advantage. The devil is going to gain an advantage over you. If you're ignorant, are you with me this evening? Bringing it to the exact context that he was talking about. He was talking about forgiving someone. He says, he was talking about the church structure for discipline. He says, if someone has offended, he says, whatever the local assembly has agreed to do, let it be done. And he Addressing the sensitivity of this matter says things like this should be done properly lest Satan has the advantage. It says, for we are not ignorant. It is because we are not ignorant that he cannot have an advantage. We know his modus operandi. We know how he functions. We know how he operates. We know that offense strengthens his activity, he walks through offense. Paul says, we know it. So many times, when there is offense, our preoccupation is who is wrong. What you said wrong, what you did wrong, what you did, what you did not do. But it turns out, many times, there's a third factor, a third party that people often do not recognize a third factor that people often will not recognize. Many times it's the devil. Why are we quarreling? What is going on? Why isn't this relationship working? Um, what's going on in this local church? What's going on in this service group? Why do we keep fighting? Oh, it is brother so-and-so. It is sister so-and-so. She keeps acting this way. He keeps doing this. She keeps doing that. Well, there is also the devil. People's weaknesses notwithstanding. We must be able to recognize when the devil is at work. If you don't learn to recognize it, he will gain the advantage. What we have to protect is more important than who is at fault. Are you listening to this? Okay, quite all right. Now we know who is at fault after having argued for so long, fought for so long. But now something good that the Holy Ghost had empowered us to do is defeated. And sometimes you can be in so much offense that all you want is vindication. You just want to be vindicated. You just want to come to a point where you say, eh, eh, yeah, I said it. I said it that he was the one all the, all the while. He was the cause of the problem. Now everybody can see. Souls are perishing. A work is destroyed. But all we can think of is the vindication. 
I said it, at least everybody knows. And everybody can see what I've been saying. But Paul says, we are not ignorant. This is a simple training on discernment. We are not ignorant of his devices. See, I'm not ignorant of his devices. See, you must learn to be able to see the devil at work. If the Bible says you will cast out devils, to cast out devils, you must be able to discern when devils are at work. If you cannot discern the activity of Satan, you, how, how then can you stop the activity? Sometimes, the solution is not more argument. The solution is prayer. It's prayer. It's prayer. It's prayer. Hallelujah. What I'm telling you about will save your life. This simple thing I'm saying. Because, you see, the devil has no power. I said it. The Bible calls his operation, he says, the wiles of the devil, the fairy darts. He uses deceit. He's a master of these guys. One of his major strengths is the ability to function without you knowing he's the one functioning. That's the strength. That's the strength. So, now, the well-meaning friend in your life, like Peter was to Jesus, is holding Jesus and rebuking him. He's trying to be well-meaning and saying, why would you say you would die? Stop saying that. No, you will not. You know, can you imagine? And behind that was the devil. Can you just imagine what I'm saying? Can you just imagine what I'm saying? I've been casting out demons for a while. And I've seen all sorts. Even to simple things like Okay, there was a guy who had problem eating. He just won't eat. He just won't eat. And then I'm praying for him. The demon is about to leave. And the demon said, when I'm gone, you better feed him. His body is weak. I stopped him from eating. Can you imagine that? So now, you will give such a person multivitamin and all sorts of things. But there is something behind. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying this is the case for everybody. I'm not saying this is the case for... There are, there are even weirder cases I don't want to talk about. But, but you, ha you have to understand, especially when it comes to relationships, relating with people. Something good is happening, then there is a clash. And you're just like, why would he do this to me? And the moment you're saying, he is him, or she's the one, you know, the devil is happy. Because you have not been able to identify that it was him. Hallelujah. But see with me, we're not ignorant of his devices. And by, 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 by devices, we mean stratagems. I'm not talking about devices like iPhone, iPad. It's just, anyway, I'm sure you know that. Greek word for offense, laugh. That's the respectful thing to do. If a pastor cracks a joke, you laugh. What is wrong? What is wrong? Who trained the people? I know he's dry. Just... <laughs> it's so rude. 
The Greek word for offense is scandalon. It's spelled S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N. I'm saying this for a reason. Scandalon actually means trapstick. That's what it means. Trapstick, like, like a fishing line. The part of a fishing line on which the bait hangs. The very part of the fishing line on which the bait hangs is scandalon. That's what scandalon in the Greek describes. And I think it's very striking, striking, that such a device will be used to describe offense. Because that's what it is. Many times, many times it's the devil baiting us. The devil is baiting us and people out of ignorance will take the bait, will fall for the trap. Maybe it's not really about whatever you think the bone of contention is. Maybe it's just the devil. Hallelujah. Who is not ignorant will be able to say, you know what? Guys, this is Satan. It's the devil. We have something great ongoing. Something great. We have partnered to do something great. Let's pray about this. Let's pray about this. I mean, if this is the only thing you take home today, it's okay. If this is the only thing you take home today, it's okay. Many potentially prosperous ventures have been divided by Satan. Many great fellowships Great churches divided by Satan. If we can learn to point out his activity better, we'll be stronger. To realize that he is constantly trying to bait us. To turn us against ourselves. Against each other. And when we identify that, and if we don't, the terrible thing is when you don't, it spreads. You see, it spreads. Listen, people are very susceptible to to change their mind. Let me put it that way, to put it mildly. Read the word of God, you see it. As I was thinking about this, I just thought of Acts chapter 14 and something very interesting happening there. So there was a great miracle that happened in Acts chapter 14. There was a man in Lystra. The Bible says he was impotent in his feet. He had, been, he had never walked before. The Bible says Paul steadfastly looking on him, discerning that he had faith to be healed. Said Jesus Christ makes you whole. And this was a great miracle. This guy who had never walked before, Paul said to him, Stand upright on your feet. Can you imagine? Stand upright. And the guy stood up. The Bible says, When the people saw it, they were amazed. And the amazement is, is good, but the way they went about it was wrong. The Bible says these people began to think that Paul and his company were gods. And I don't know how much time they had to come up with this, their philosophy. But they even gave them names. Can you imagine? They gave them names. They said in their local parlance, they said, the gods that come down to us in the likeness of men. The Bible says they called Barnabas Jupiter. Can you imagine? Called Barnabas Jupiter. Called Paul Mercurius. 
because he was the chief speaker. They had an explanation that this one can talk. He must be miraculous. Isn't this interesting? First of all, you know, it, it just tells you how gullible some people can be. They responded well to the miracle, and that's great. But they stretched it. They stretched it. The Bible says, when Paul and his company saw what they were doing, they tore their shirts. They said, we're just mere men like you. Don't do that. Don't do that. But this is what I want to talk about. These people went from great and extreme admiration to another extreme. I mean, the switch was very quick. These great people, these people who were about to literally worship these guys as gods, they were about to make sacrifices. They were in the process of making sacrifices to these guys. And the Bible tells us in verse 19, it says, Certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium persuaded the people, persuaded they poisoned their minds. And then these same people who were going to worship Paul moments ago, the same people they hated Paul so much, they picked up stones and stoned him. Stoned him to death. They killed him. How can you move one moment you really like this person, the next moment you want to kill him? Offense. Offense is very powerful. Offense. It might have happened to you, maybe not at this scale, but on a smaller level. There's someone you really like, and then you just brought up the person's name in some quarters, and you're like, that one, that one, that one, and they say all kinds of unverified stuff. Do you know that's how people step out of favor many times? Not because of anything they did, just because of some, what someone said. Hallelujah. Please, are you with me? The person who is saying all these things I just, I just be beefing. I just be beefing. But whether you like it or not, the words of people, it matters what you listen to. It matters what you pay attention to. It has happened. I can give you example upon example. Something was going on great. You had something great going. And then someone else just says, uh, this, that, this, that. This is, is a major problem in relationship. It's almost as if <laughs> an average lady has a jury, a group of four or five friends. Before she would date any guy, they must all vet. <laughs> yeah, it has its pros and cons. I believe, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against the idea of running it by someone because sometimes you are swept off your feet, you are not objective. So it might take someone else to say, ah, open your eye, open your eye. You know, no, no, or something else. But there is an extreme to this also. And I'm just speaking generally. That, that's just an example. But the point is, I'm just showing you the power of offense and how it can spread. So serious that Proverbs said, throw away this corner. You know, you know cast away this corner. If there, if there is going to be peace in a house, cast away this corner. You know, everything that may be going great, the moment there is just one person, one person, who is a corner and is like, what's, what's this? One moment you thought what was happening was fascinating, then there is one other person who is disillusioned and is like, ah, this is what was the rave about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. 
What was the river? Is this, is this the person you are talking about? It might even be something that you like, an item, a phone. Or, uh, no, is this, is this, is this, this is this is what happens in our everyday life. And if you are not careful, what I'm talking about will affect your work with God. It will affect your work with God. Be conscious of it. Don't be the reason why offense will spread. Don't give offenses. Don't receive offenses is what I'm saying. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. Please open your Bibles. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, and I read, it says, From whence comes wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence, even from your loss, that war in your members? Ye lost and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye cannot have, because you ask not. Now, emphasis on verse 1. Where does war come from? Where do offenses come from? He said, lost. You lost and you have not, so you kill. I feel it's a very dangerous narrative, but it's getting common, you know, even around us. You hear people say things like, of course, you know, I don't support your Kadaban. I know a lot of people have reasons and theories. Of course, I will always prioritize security first. Do you understand? But if, if they have a reason, then maybe, I don't know. But what then will you say about, I don't want to talk about that. What They're trying to clamp down on Uber and Taxify also. Have you heard? So, okay, what's, what's, what's the reason for that one? Anyway. So that's, that's besides the point. But then you hear people say things like, These guys are trying to feed their family. Now you have taken their jobs. So what are they supposed to do? They will become robbers. Have you heard people talk like that? They will become robbers. And I'm just like, why is, is this how people actually think? Because I've heard that thing so many times that I think that some people actually think that way. Ah, if this source of income is not there anymore, I'm going to pick up weapons and start robbing. It's why? Why? Why are people like this? James said, you desire to have. And so you don't get it. And now you're ready to kill. For some people, it never gets that extreme where they, they are ready to draw blood. But that's why they begin to fight. They make a mountain out of a molehill because... Somewhere at the back of their mind, they have goals that they must accomplish at any cost. The moment you are saying something that seems to be a contradiction or, you know, a hindrance to what they're trying to get, you see some reaction. And you're just like, have you, I've given you this example before. You're talking with someone and the thing escalates real quick. And you're wondering, what did I say? What, what, did, what just happened now? What did I say? Because usually, there are ulterior motives. The person has assumed you are saying what you're not saying. <laughs> because the moment the conversation is going in a, in a direction that the person is afraid of, the, you know, the reaction will just be there. You're just like, ah, calm down. What's, what's really going on? Is there something I don't know? And that's how it works. That's how offense comes. We have something very dear to our hearts that we must get. And we go about it in a manner that depicts lack of trust for God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's really the essence of everything. You don't trust God. You don't trust God. Sometimes, if we just trust God, <laughs> if we didn't feel like we always have to stand up for ourselves all the time. And we just let God stand up for us once in a while. 
there will be less offense. It's that simple. It's that simple. But many people feel they must always have a reply. Always. It's insecurity. When you're secure in God, his plan for your life, you will stop fighting to assert yourself all the time. You will stop fighting to assert yourself all the time. How do you respond when people don't believe in you? How do you respond? How do you respond when people don't support you? Do you know some people grow up with a relative in mind? You didn't help me. I mean, that's their meditation all the time. Think about it. Jesus met a guy who had been lame 38 years by the pool of Bethesda, went to him and said, will you behold? What did the guy respond? I have no man. You know, that's what he had been thinking. Isn't it a weird response? But that's, that had been his meditation. As far as he's concerned, the reason he's not healed is because his friends have deserted him. So much so that the healer was right in front of him. And he's asking him, will you be whole? He's my, I have no man. He, he saw it as an opportunity to talk about all the people that have let him down. Are you with me? Isn't that the summary of our meditation many times? Always thinking about, you know, all the people that should have helped and did not help. And Jesus is right there saying, you don't need these guys. I want to help you. Will you be whole? Can I help you? And you're like, oh, this friend, these people, this, uh, he's, I'm right here. I'm asking you. Will you let me help you? I have no man. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's why you were there 38 years. Looking to man instead of to God. Please, are you with me? He's right there. He's right there. Can I help you? Will you be whole? He, it was another opportunity to rant. It just reveals that's all he had been thinking about every day. It also reveals he thought that that pool of Bethesda was the only way he would be healed. Is, is this not what we go through every time? The reason for our offense is because we think God is out of ideas. That if it did not happen the way we thought it would happen, then we are stranded. God doesn't need the pool for you to be healed. He's, he wants to tell you, stand up, take your bed. He's just asking you, will you be whole? Ah, the reason why I have not been able to enter this pool, they deserted me. I've been here all by myself before I can even jump. Other people, who said you need the pool? I mean, the person talking to you can literally tell you, take up your bed and go. You don't need that pool. Listen, you are here, you feel deserted. Maybe this word is for someone. You, you just feel that offense. Because you thought you were going to do this and do this and it will work out this way. And you will be at this place by now. But because it did not work the exact way you expected it to work, you feel God has failed you. You're just like that guy by the pool. And he's, he's standing there. You don't need the pool. You don't need it. You don't need it. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't think that because it didn't happen the way you thought it would happen, God's plan for your life has failed. I just feel like for someone, if I stop here, you, you came to church. This is so important. How do you handle the fact that some people don't believe in you? 
Some never will. <laughs> See, maybe the sooner you realize that, the better it, it will be for you. Some will never believe in you. No matter what, you cry. And it's their privilege. They have the right not to believe in you. If you're angry about it, you're proud. What, what makes you feel people must believe in you? And if everybody believes in you, it's going to be so boring. You will have no story. Don't you see? Don't you see? Let the contradiction be there so that God can flex. Flex a little over your life. And take all the glory. Say loud amen. amen. How do you handle it when you are not appreciated? Do you know what it means to work very hard and not be given credit? It's not easy. It started from when we were young, you know. Maybe your parents go out. You now try to impress them. You clean the house. All African parents are guilty. <laughs> I need to be careful in this church because more parents are coming in. You know, last week, I was saying, all African parents, I just looked around and I saw one mommy. I said, well, most of them. <laughs> I said, ah. Then I said, so that's what they're teaching you in this church. I said, ah. Praise the Lord. I mean, I was working hard academically. My dad was always spurring me to do better. I now came second. And I showed him the report card. So, well, you tried. But the person that came first does not have two heads. I'm just like, why? Why are you people like this? I, I don't even mind telling me that the person that came first does not have two heads. Tell me tomorrow. Just pat me on the back now. Are, are you with me? The time I came first, he still didn't... A friend of mine was telling me just last week, wrote an exam, had A. So we sent it to the family group, sent the results, you know, in a master's program. The mother said, this is good, but you can do better. The woman said, I got A now. <laughs> what, I don't, what do you mean you can do better? What's that? <laughs> I got A. <laughs> I had an A. Or do you have 100? <laughs> you want to call, you want that to confess in master's program, confess that <laughs> first position. You work hard, you are underappreciated. An average Nigerian civil servant knows what I'm saying. Maybe that's, that's what's happening in your office. You, there's just that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you know what I'm saying. You know, you feel underappreciated. Even though some of you, well, anyway. An average Nigerian youth exaggerates <laughs> the level of his input. Just personal observation. Or simply, you, you just want to have your way regarding something, and you don't. These are some of the simple things that cause offense. Hallelujah. And it takes such an understanding in God. He holds our future. No matter what anyone thinks, he controls our destiny. Just think about, you know, I think it was Joyce Meyer gave this example along these lines. Just think about the reputation of David in his family. The reputation of David. In, you know, I've told you in many African homes, there is that subtle gray deal. Everybody knows who will do well, who will not do well. From when you're a child, they are almost always wrong. And they are, they are already treating you as if you have already failed. Even though you, your life is just starting. 
the preferential treatment is already there. God likes to prove those kind of narratives wrong there. He likes it. <laughs> Haven't you noticed? Think of the reputation David had in his family. Do you know what it means for them to come to anoint a king and they did not mention David? They didn't call him. Do you know what that means? Do you, do you think about that? Do you know what that means? Th think about how they saw him. There's an opportunity to be king. They didn't even invite him. That, ah, you're looking for king. Do, my, make no mistake. Of course, they couldn't have forgotten that they had a son named David. They just felt, if he's king, you're looking for. <laughs> Let's not disturb David. He cannot be the one. <laughs> do, do you know? That thing is painful. Though. Until they had gone through everybody. Aye, that's, that's, that's Jesus for you. He said, men look on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. Praise the Lord. I look at the heart. Scanned all the brothers, Eliab, you know, and all of them. I said, ah, no. Someone who is not here. And so they called him. And he was the one. He was anointed. The brothers were in the army. He was, you know, in charge of housekeep, housekeeping. He was in charge of the sheep and all of that. And then the Bible tells us one day he went to deliver food to the brothers. Again, think of, think of the reputation. The brothers are defending the nation. They are, they are in the army. Then you are the one bringing their lunch. Actually, no problem with that at all. It's, it's, it's about service. But I'm just trying to say, think of maybe the impression they had of him. And as David was coming, he, he heard Goliath brag. And David couldn't take it. And David, just out of curiosity, he just wanted to know what would be given to the person that would beat this guy. The brothers heard it and they were annoyed. Have you seen people, you know, you, you are just believing in yourself oh, <laughs> on your own, and they're angry. And they're trying to tell you, ah, better your expectations are too high in this country. Yeah, have you seen people like that? Eliab said, you, you've left the few sheep that you were watching to come here. Scolded him. Listen, this was after David had been anointed with oil. When David was anointed, Eliab was there. Make no mistake. This is beyond just, you know, elder brother, younger brother rivalry. No. This guy was anointed in your presence. He knew David was anointed. He just won't recognize it. And he's telling him, you left the few sheep that you were watching, to come here. We're talking, we are here thinking of what to do with Goliath. You want to add your mouth. Praise the Lord. The Bible said something interesting. The Bible said, David turned from him and faced another person. <laughs> and he wasn't even doing it to spite him, like, I ain't got time for you, like, he just said, Elia, why, why, why are you talking to me like this? Is there, is there, is there a cause? Why is, what's the problem? Is there not a cause? Where's all this leading? And he just turned. Some of you, in fact, that act alone, the Bible says, okay, 1 Samuel 17, 30, and he turned from him towards another. Handling offense 101. <laughs> Look away. Sometimes that's the summary. I, I, I don't have time for this pettiness. I don't. Hallelujah. I know what God has said about me. I know what he thinks of me. 
The moment you see someone who thinks otherwise, look away. <laughs> look away. No need for hashtags. If you are using hashtags, you are still on serious. Haters, haters gone. Hate. You don't, you don't, you are losing focus. You are losing focus. Your all, all your captions are always shading someone. You don't have time. Maybe, maybe you haven't even understood the magnitude of the plan God has for you. When Nehemiah was building the wall, listen, some people were trying to make trouble. He said, how, how can I come down to be addressing you? How can I? I'm doing a great job. I'm doing a great job. I ain't got time for that. Praise the Lord. Look away. Help me know the person by your side gently. Say, look away, look away, look away. In fact, maybe their own posts is shading you. You know it's concerning you. Just, you know. Look away. Look away. You know all those to whom it may concern posts? You know. <laughs> you know when, when we were at Silverbird Cinemas, we entered into a, a growth season, and many people were coming into the church, were being blessed, were growing, and all of that. I put up a banner announcing we're starting second service. About five minutes after, one of the people following me did his own post. May our ministries not grow fast. May they grow well. I'm telling you, <laughs> beef is bad, though. <laughs> I said it, I laughed. I said, ah! I still find it hilarious. So I just looked away. Do you understand? So, but someone now commented and said, very simple, must it be an either-or situation? What makes you feel that every ministry that is growing fast is not growing well? He gave the example of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Everything happened in 18 months. And the Bible says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Do you understand? So when I saw that, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Even the enemy knows people are growing well in this church. It's not just growing fast, it's growing well. Praise the Lord. But Hallelujah. And that was then. What I'm talking about is 2014. We had not started growing that time. So, I, see, you know, I've told you anybody that has the hand of God on their life, support them. Pray for them. It's, it, it's, it's very frustrating. Don't be on the other side of prophecy. Never in your life. Never in your life. Because the way prophecy works, prophecy is designed to embarrass anyone who gains it. You, you don't understand. When you say, when the prophet says in a time of famine, tomorrow this bag will be sold for this amount. If you say, it will not happen. It's not, it's not that simple that you just say, oh, it happened, I was wrong. You don't know. That's not how prophecy works. If you try to stand against it, you become the spectacle in its manifestation. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. Praise the Lord. See, there are people that you may not like. I don't know why you won't like people. <laughs> Do you understand? But you might not even really be close to them. There are, there are people I may never really be close to. I don't really admire their approach to some things. But make no mistake. If God is using somebody, God is using them. All. And God knows they hear gossip. It's not, it's, it's not, <laughs> he, 
Even because I love people are saying something. Stop blessing somebody. I'm saying that this because it's very much in line with what we're talking about. Praise the name of the Lord. So when people refuse to support you, when they don't believe in you, when, you know, I believe in who God says I am. This is, this is so important. When you are secure in God's plan, in God's provision, in God's promise, offenses will reduce. The reason why it matters so much what people say is because we are insecure. When you become more secure in who God says you are, you know, if I look at someone and call him what he's not, I look at a man and say, ah, Pastor Tolu, you are pregnant. He's just going to laugh and say, ah, you're ignorant. That would, that would be his response. Is that I don't know what pregnant, what it means to be pregnant, you know. But if I say something about him that he claims is not true, but it hurts him, is because somewhere in his mind, he believes that there is a possibility. There's some air of truth in what I'm saying. Hallelujah. Offense will always reveal our insecurity. That's, that's the summary of what I'm saying. It will always reveal our insecurity. Be secure in who God says you are. In this social media generation where you can post your picture with your baby and someone will say your baby is ugly. In this generation, please be secure. Because at the end of the day, it won't be so much of what the people say. It's about how secure you are. Praise the name of Jesus. When it all comes down to it, there are, <laughs> there are some other cases that aren't so straightforward. There, there are cases of Let me give you an example. I've talked to you about John the Baptist. I believe that he's one of the most respected Bible characters because he exhibited a virtue that is very difficult. Before Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist was very popular. A lot of people were going to him. The Bible says the soldiers went to him, the publicans went to him, you know, and they went to him to be baptized. And Jesus came on the scene and his popularity grew beyond as Jesus was getting more popular John the Baptist was fading away and John the Baptist was okay with it listen, what I'm saying even many Christians will struggle with it it's not easy it's not easy even if you knew that was the plan from the beginning, I'm just the foreigner now you know <laughs> I, I don't even know if I can share this, my wife was in a, with a group of people and they were active. You know, and they were to act. And she, she was directing a drama or something like that. Can I say that? <laughs> and a lady in the drama, her own role was just to die. I think she was to eat. A role, you know. But she was so, she felt as her role is too simple. How would she just die like that? So, so during one of the courts, she came and said, she feels, she was mentioning the name of the character, I think Onome or something, that she feels Onome is supposed to say something before, <laughs> before she dies. So everybody said, no, don't worry. Let Onome just die. <laughs> Onome let Onome just die. He said, okay. Now, the lady went home, came back the next day, I said, I spoke to so-and-so director. And the director also said it would be good for Onome to say. He said, everybody said, no. Let Onome just. It's not easy. It's not easy. Have you seen people, you know, they are rolling movies. They were in the market. So when they want to show you, they say, I was in that movie. He said, I didn't see you. So as the movie, as the camera is passing, they will pause it. That's. 
that. <laughs> you know? Listen. Sometimes God gives us roles that are not as grandiose. They're not as spectacular. And so you are John the Baptist. Your role is introduce the Messiah and go. If you are not careful, you'll be like, on a must say something. How will on just go? <laughs> Hallelujah. And so he was popular. Everybody was coming to him. And you trust people. People are very competitive. Even if you are not a competitive type, they will stir it up for you. You are Saul. David is your boy. You sent David. You are the one who permitted David to fight Goliath. As David is, you, you have been fighting battles for the people for a long time. David killed only one person. People are already singing. Saul has killed thousands. David, 10,000. You know, it's people that cause this. It's people. People like to compare. And so, straight up, once everybody started to talk about Jesus, Jesus is the latest guy in town. The crowd started following him. And John the Baptist was so secure. He said, I told you from the beginning, I am not the Christ. He that is coming after me is mightier than I. Eh? I baptize with water. He will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with power. His shoes and his latchets are unworthy to untie. To, to say that, you know, some people even... Simple compliments. They, you know they can't give compliments. Have you seen people? Anything about you, they must... Everybody's like, ah, see what this guy did. But see, see this. They must point out something he did through. Do you know what it means to be able to say, ah, this guy is better than me in this, in this area? Some people would rather die than say that thing. <laughs> Some people don't agree. Hallelujah. And, and John the Baptist did well. But there was something that got to John. Eventually, he was arrested. And Jesus, she, Jesus is a superstar now. Jesus cannot come and visit him. Jesus cannot come and visit him. Jesus heard about it. He won't come and visit him. He won't try to save him. He won't do that. John was offended. And so this same John that said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The same John sent someone to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else? <laughs> How can you ask that? How? You know who I pity the most? The person who went on that errand. <laughs> Listen, be very careful what the person you follow makes you do. I know I've seen people try to beef people. They have no business beefing. Just be, you know that the enemy of my enemy is my enemy. The enemy of my friend is my enemy. Oh, that's, you, you just enter trouble unnecessarily. You will say the one they didn't send you. Praise the Lord. How can... I, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, you go and ask Jesus. Uh, my, my boss said I should ask you that. <laughs> what an errand. Hallelujah. Luke's account says in Luke chapter 7, verse 22. This is how Jesus answered. He said, go your way. Tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The, to the poor, the gospel is preached. And blessed is he, whoever is not offended in me. You know, that was not beefy the before. The moment he came and said, are you the one or should we look for another person? He just began 
in that hour to minister to people and say, go and say, <laughs> go and say what you've seen. And I think it was years ago, I heard Andrew Womack say this. Here is the emotional part. After that guy had left, Jesus turned to everyone else that was there and began to say nice things about John. Say that of all prophets, he's the greatest. And, and you know, and all of that. And he said something. He said, if John the Baptist's servant was there when he was making those commendations, he would go and tell John and John would feel happy. At least John felt he had deserted him. If you say these things, that's what all John wanted to hear. That you believe in him, you have not deserted him, and all of that. But Jesus didn't say that. Your question is, if I'm the Messiah or not, well, look at the signs. Go and tell him what you've seen. And the reason is simple. John knew the scriptures. All those things, in fact, in that exact order, in the book of Isaiah, the, the Bible tells us that the Messiah was going to demonstrate all those signs. So what he was doing was to point him back to the scriptures. What we think we need as panacea for all our, you know, emotional trauma will be someone patting us on the back and talking to us and saying, you know, words of affirmation. Ah, you are wonderful. You are, ah, ah. After you, now you. But many times, what we really need is to be pointed back to the scriptures. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's so important. I have a lot of nice things to say about John. But if what he really needs to know is if I'm the Messiah, point it back to the scriptures. Still have a lot to say, but I can end on this note. If you do not focus on who God says you are, focus on the word of God. Let your contentment, your satisfaction, your assurance come from his word and his word alone. The slightest offense will sweep you off your feet. To sweep you off your feet. Think of John. I, you know, I felt so sad for him the first time I read that story. You already had a great ministry. You had already succeeded in the will of God. Do great, point many people to Christ, get off the scene. Just the final moment of your life, offense. Are you getting what I'm saying? Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? That at the final, he was in prison just before he was going to be ex executed. After that, we don't have any words from him anymore. We don't know if he repented of that statement. We don't know. His last words was a contradiction of everything his ministry stood for. His ministry was meant to point people to the Christ. He spent all his ministry, his life, telling people that Jesus is the Christ. And now because of offense, are you the one? Or you know, and something, why? They didn't come to check on you. Praise the Lord. This is a very serious lesson. A very, very serious lesson. Offense will make you throw away investments of many years. Efforts of many years. One moment of anger. I saw a video going viral. Two men were quarreling, and this man kept pushing the other guy to the wall with his words, you know, provoking him and all of that, and then now this guy couldn't take it. The funny thing is, there were policemen around watching this guy's quarrel. They didn't stop them. They were just watching. And now this other guy, was so stirred in his anger. You know, he's so angry, he wants to punish this guy. 
So he picks a stone. He throws at this guy, chest level. But for some reason, the guy was trying to dodge, bent his head down. The rock hit him. He fell to the ground and died. As soon as he died, these policemen that were watching, they just coughed him straight up. Hallelujah. And now I'm thinking, one moment of anger. His life will never be the same again. He's a murderer. Don't forget where we started from. Many times. Now, at that point, it no longer matters what that guy said. No matter what he said, you have killed someone. You have killed someone. You have killed someone. It cannot be undone. No, but listen. In fact, there were people standing, you could tell they understand, you know, their grievances and all of that. The moment it was confirmed that he had killed the guy, everybody was against him. Nobody wanted to hear his explanation. You are a murderer. Maybe you are at a crossroad now. Someone has done something to you. You are bent on retaliating. Listen to the word of the Lord. Hmm? Offense is a bait stick. Don't fall for the bait of the enemy. The Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices. He's trying to trap you. He's trying to trap you. At the end of the day, you're going to, in fact, many times you're the one who will lose the most. Praise the Lord. And this is why our actions as believers will and, will and must always be consistent with our nature. We are not, we, we are not responders. A natural man responds. His actions, the way he treats people is just a general response. Oh, I love you because you are lovely. I hate you because you're not a good person. But when you realize and reckon that love is your nature, is who you are, it's no longer about how people are, how they behave, how they act, but about who you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? So hate is no longer, you know, a response to someone's behavior. It's really about who you really are. Are you, are you walking in the flesh or in the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is love. Not the fruit of my conversation. <laughs> Not the result of, you know, how I observe people. And what, what kind of character I feel they deserve. It's just who I am. It's just who I am. I'm going to refuse the influence of my city on my character. I'm going to refuse the influence of some funny people who will never believe in me on my character. Because in doing so, I become like them. Hallelujah. In fact, in many instances, the very thing they're accusing you of, you become. But not us. We have the Spirit of God. Say, I've got the Spirit of God. I walk in love always. I refuse to be unforgiving. I forgive. I live light. I live void of offense. I live void of animosity. I walk in love. Always. Hallelujah. I just want you to close your eyes. I'm asking you to close your eyes so that the words that you have heard can bless your heart. Think about the words you have heard. Some of you, this time, this few seconds... The Spirit of God is touching you and the anger that you have held in your heart for so long, it's going away. 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 The Lord is directing your heart. 
showing you how to think, what to do, what responses to have. Those negative thoughts that you have held on to, he's helping you to let them go. To, to let them go. He's touching you. He's touching you. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be doers of your word and not hear us alone. Your spirit has made us wise. We walk in wisdom. We walk in a manner consistent with our nature. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Say loud, amen. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.